As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The race is on, and Ferrari became the first top team to launch its 2024 car, which also took its first laps at Fiorano. But is this car going to be good enough to end its title drought, and just how large did Lewis Hamilton's signing for 2025 loom over proceedings at Maranello? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to tell all are Ben Anderson and Scott Mitchell-Mound. Well, another day, another launch, Scott, so we'll get straight into it. Ferrari's generally flattered to deceive under these regulations with a car that's fast over a lap, doesn't win a lot of races. Any sign of that script being rewritten with the new Ferrari SF24? Well, it's what's been outlined as uh, one of the priorities for the for the car, isn't it? hasn't it? it they've, they've talked about um, a big, big priority being the kind of drivability of the car and the fact the fact that they want to make it a car that the drivers can tap into the potential of it on a more consistent basis over a race distance. that That's that's where their argument for we can retain the goodness on Saturdays and improve things on Sundays come from because the idea is that what where, where it was held back on Sunday, I guess, was this instability that they dealt with at the rear for most of last year and that tended to mean the car was moving around more, maybe overworking its tyres and because it wasn't as fast... They're having to push harder to run at the pace that they needed to, which worked the tyres more, and you get trapped in this vicious cycle. The idea is this is a better car, it's a better platform, it's going to drive better, and everything will be improved from there. So, um, yeah, if all goes to plan, it's going to be absolutely brilliant. And it'll be brilliant for the next two years, because this will also be the basis for the 25 car. And, of course, things always go brilliantly to plan to for, uh, for Ferrari, don't they, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they always know exactly what they what they're doing. History tells us it's going to be plain sailing all the way to twenty twenty six. Well, we jest, obviously, but uh, I think under Fred Vasseur, there's a bit more faith that Ferrari's more together and going in the right direction. I think if people are expecting this car to be be a sort of wow potential Red Bull beater, they might be a bit disappointed we were hearing at the end of 2023 talk of it being 95% new and I don't doubt that they've overhauled most of the car and modified bits but I don't think it's root and branch it looks like they're evolving the direction they went in through last season probably finishing off with the kind of Japan floor spec that helped Leclerc feel more comfortable 
they were going to downwash side pods already, weren't they, from like mid-season last year. To me, they focused most of their effort on this rear end that Scott talked about. You know, the, they've created some floor area at the back, I think, with the side pod shape and also the gearbox. And I guess they're hoping that if they calm down the peakiness and the aero stalling there, the drivers are going to just unlock more performance. Whether that's enough peak performance to challenge Red Bull, I doubt it. But it sort of tallies with what Vasseur was saying from the middle of last year that there's a lot for Ferrari to gain just from being more consistent, getting more out of itself rather than chasing massive gains in lap time with kind of magic bullet solutions. And I feel like all the messaging around this launch is very much in line with what he was saying in the middle of last year. And Mission Ferrari for me is less about trying to topple Red Bull in the next two years and more about kind of building a foundation of a team to take a championship challenge in 2026. I think he's saying, look, let's not kind of chase our tails. Let's actually prove that we can maximise every race of every season, be operationally sharp, do the absolute best job we can, not leave points and tents on the table that we could have done just relative to ourselves. And then have all the ingredients in place with Lewis Hamilton arriving and other key technical hires, etc., to really go for it in a couple of years' time. So I think it's a, a, a step forward car, but it's more kind of holding pattern stuff for Ferrari, really. It's emphasising efficiency, which is what Fred does a lot. And actually, it goes back a lot further than the middle of the last season. I think in Bahrain, certainly by Saudi Arabia. Ed, you, you'll probably remember this. We were hearing from, from Fred about how he, he would say things like he's never known a car that's um, so fast over one lap that means conceptually it can't be quick in a race and stuff and stuff like this. And for a long time, we were quite sceptical about that. And we kind of thought, is this, has Fred's being a bit vague? And I don't really, it doesn't really sound like Ferrari's going to get to the bottom of this. And he's talking about exploiting the potential and there's a lot that we need to do here and we'll find time just by doing everything better rather than by changing the car. And you kind of think, oh, well, you know, that's, that's all well and good, but is it actually there? And obviously they did change the car. There, there were updates, but the Fred was kind of proven correct through 2023 in that what they had, the under all the underlying stuff in the car that couldn't be changed, did have more potential in it. They, they had to change the aerodynamic surfaces and the way certain things worked. They had to try and tune some of those evil car characteristics a little bit. But the way they ended the season especially given Red Bull didn't develop their car too much through the year, so Red Bull was a relatively consistent baseline, Ferrari did make their car better through the season. And that might sound easy, but it's very rare, actually, that Ferrari does that. It t- tends to get lost through through a year of development. So I was encouraged by all of that. And and that means you do give Vasseur and Ferrari a bit of the benefit of the doubt now going into this year. It's like, okay, well, if all these changes work, this is what you want to achieve, it should make sense. I have some doubts about a couple of elements that they've, they've gone in a couple of elements that they have on on the car, whether or not the aerodynamics are kind of unique enough, innovative enough. It feels like they're just doing a very good Ferrari approximation of what Red Bull have done. And it concerns me, as I'm sure this podcast will go into with people who know more about it than I do, that they're the outlier now with the the suspension at the rear. Uh, There's a reason all the other teams aren't doing that and Ferrari's stuck with pull rod rather than push rod. But... Let's see, because there are elements of this car where if you take the performance potential of it last season, especially over one lap, and you tidy it up a little bit, you make it a little bit more forgiving on the rear, you make it a bit better at looking after its tyres, 
that is a pretty potent race car. So I think we can't write them off. And it sounds like they are gently more encouraged in reality versus when they ran the car for the first time last year. But they won't know that until they run the car on track again this year. I think they're being deliberately more cautious, aren't they? Like last year, they did a much more razzmatazzy fanfare launch, you know, having that kind of big event and fans at the track and then seeing the car roll out for the first time. And there was there was a lot of hype around Ferrari and they were convinced that they were going to be title contenders. Whereas this season has felt more like a reality check. It's like, yep, here's a quick uh, rendered visual of the car and now off we go and get on with the job. And I feel like that's very Fred Vasseur as well. He stripped things back and said, let's focus on the core racing priorities. Like he's a, you know, a well-schooled racing guy, knows how to keep things simple. And I think Ferrari's probably needed a dose of that. And the car maybe reflects that. And of course, we should be fair and say this is the baseline for this year. So the key thing will be how they add to that and develop it through the year. If, if if Cardile is right and it offers way more potential than their old concept and they can actually realise that, then yeah, maybe they can they can push on through the early races and and through the development will close even further on Red Bull, or give them a run for their money. But of course that's that's allowing for the fact that we haven't seen the RB twenty yet and we don't know how much of a extra step that will take and how much more potential that has in it. It's interesting because both drivers made a point about the change under the Vasseur leadership. They didn't make it emphatically so, but it was pretty much implied from the way they talked about him. Carlos Sainz said he likes the working methodology of this team over the past six months, the past 10 months, and that's what makes him confident in this car. Charles Leclerc talked about similar things. He said Vasseur gives very clear leadership, and I asked Leclerc about the, is it the fact that Fred couldn't really keep all those politics and those other factors at Maranello at bay and just let it focus on being a racing team. And he was keen not to compare it to previous regimes, but he did also then basically say, well, yeah, it is kind of that as well. <laughs> so this this is very much Operation Vasseur. And although, as Scott alluded to earlier, we were a bit sceptical, particularly when he was saying some of the stuff early on, which was partly what you said, Scott, there was more to come. And I think also partly it was just sort of being generally gently a little bit upbeat just to let them quietly get on with things as well so I think uh, I think this is very much his vision of the team is starting to take and I'm pleased he's been able to because listeners to this podcast will remember I was a little bit worried that he might not be able to run this team the way he wanted to I think the drivers will be delighted won't they because a lot of the messaging coming out of this launch is that their feedback has been basically the absolute epicenter of what Ferrari's done in terms of developing this car I mean it was quite clear that Last year's car was quite evil to drive and they spent a lot of time basically just trying to calm it down so that they could drive it more consistently. It sounds like they're, they're aiming to take another big step step in that direction. I, I think if you're Charles Leclerc and, or Carlos Sainz, you're going to be quite relieved uh, if this car is going to be much calmer and easier to drive than its predecessor. Let's just come back to what you were talking about, Scott, about the suspension, because... That's a really interesting one because Ferrari is looking increasingly isolated, not just in terms of that configuration, but also just in terms of the way they talk about the suspension side of things. Yeah, there was an interview that Mark Hughes was part of last year um, in which Enrico Cardile said that suspension is a bit overrated. And he basically, his argument is that you can, it, it's, it's worse if you get it wrong 
in then it's better if you get it right if that makes sense like you can do yourself more harm by getting the suspension and messing it up but you can't gain that much out of it so there's no point in pursuing it too much and putting it up on a pedestal basically which is essentially the opposite of what adrian newey says and adrian newey has um shown himself to have a pretty good grasp of the various various sets of technical regulations over the years including this one and a lot of the other teams have gone in that direction since then and made it clear that it's not just about different suspension configurations just because they're a trend it's because there are specific advantages the push rod at the rear it's all about opening that space making it more aerodynamically friendly letting the air flow more freely into that rear wing and diffuser area of of the car you can do a bit and slightly more neat gearbox packaging with that um as well and it would when we were looking at the ferrari earlier and we were comparing the 23 and 24 rear suspension you know that aero packaging thing that if you, even if you just look at what because it because there are so few that have the pull rod at the rear now it's harder to do this so it stands out more when you look at it when you're looking at where that pull rod is on the ferrari like you see exactly what people mean when they say it's aerodynamically beneficial to have a push rod because it's just in the way you it's it's so and it's so visible and it stands out so much more now because ferrari is the only one doing it whereas when you look at the other cars and you look at the alpine for example which already had push rod last year but have made a bigger effort with it this year and repositioned it slightly you can see it's just so much more it's so much neater it's so much it's so much cleaner and they, they, like i say they've all done that for a reason cardile says that ferrari have looked into it they don't see the benefits or they don't see enough of an advantage to offset what they perceive to be the compromises with things like weight and compliance so they prefer that to 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 go down the path they know because they 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 like all the trade-offs that they're seeing performance-wise, aerodynamics-wise with the pull rod. But that says to me that either Ferrari knows something everybody else doesn't and this will work or can work just as well or even better as the push rod or a little bit like when Mercedes were pursuing different aerodynamic designs in the winter of 2223 are you looking at the right stuff when you do these tests? Is your the way you're testing this? Is it robust enough? Is, does it go deep enough to actually understand the benefits of of the system? That that's what I'm worried about. That Ferrari is missing a trick because if it is a problem, Ferrari have baked this into the car now for this year, and nobody else that they're fighting against because Haas is the only other team that will have this because they have to because they take the Ferrari parts. They're going to be racing with a handicap versus everybody else if there is a fundamental difference in performance. I think there's always an element of Ferrari liking to be different. They always like to plough their own furrow, don't they, and not seem like they're a team copying others. Maybe there's a snobbishness in there culturally, I don't know, in terms of approach to design. But I think also it speaks to what we said before about them feeling like they're in a fundamentally quite good place like they probably clearly believe they're the second fastest team, not as far off Red Bull as it looks because the car was just so difficult to drive last year. And I guess they feel like they can unlock way more just from doing some simple things to that and, and get much closer without having to kind of root and branch reform everything by changing some, some fundamental things, including the rear suspension. So they're like, yeah, it's a blockage, but let's just reprofile stuff to channel the air away from that rather than go oh, actually maybe we need to completely rethink this and it could it could work and they could suddenly you know be on Red Bull's pace in qualifying at every track and then suddenly actually they're better in the races because the car's easier to drive and we've got a proper fight on our hands or 
they could just be like Merck last year and it's like, oh, actually, this concept isn't as good as we thought it was and we're kind of stuck basically in the same position having not made enough progress. And it is important to remember it's difficult to tell with the suspension because you can see the external geometry. We've talked about the pull rod versus push rod. We can see they've got a little bit more anti-squat at the rear, a bit more anti-lift at the front, which is a general trend. But we can't see the... Anti-dive, anti-dive at the front. I should have said anti-dive. What words did I say? Uh, anti-lift. Oh, brilliant. Anti-dive at the front. Isn't that no clear? <laughs> yeah, anti-dive at the front. Yeah, that wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't help much. much more Look at your, me your... picking you up on technical terms. It's, it's much more your road car thing. Yeah, I, as I was saying to you earlier today, actually, I quite often say, think, or type the opposite word to the one I mean, which is particularly problematic for a, a journalist. But anyway, uh, to come back to that, what, what we can't see is the internal stuff. So there's kind of two things here. It could be that Ferrari's got some very clever internals that mean they can achieve everything that others are talking about with what they've got or it could be that they're missing a trick so we we don't really know what we do also know is that there's never a magic bullet though is there there's never one way of doing it so it's possible that they could be okay but I must admit when you see a team that's basically in that minority the only team that's made the choice to do it as you say has have done it because they have to even Sauber back in 22 they did their own gearbox casing which allowed them to do their own geometry they went straight to push rods so that's interesting they use Ferrari internals for the uh, the gearbox cassette but then yeah their own casing so it is interesting they are very much standing alone on this now yeah some at some point you have to kind of go with the crowd don't you there's like a there's a just a fundamental reason why that's a good idea and the fact that more people are moving in the opposite direction to Ferrari or basically everyone is because has just take what they get would suggest that maybe Ferrari are missing something when Scott mentioned the the concern they had about compromising compliance I mean do we think the Ferrari rear suspension is particularly good on that I mean I felt like in 22 they were okay over the curves and stuff but I don't feel like they're really setting the trend in terms of low speed performance at the rear end and obviously their tire management is terrible isn't it so i think we- i think they've got good ride quality though because they've been very good on street tracks haven't they especially short sharp changes yeah of direction that's true and being able to attack the curbs on stuff like that you know they they uh been, they've been competitive in in monaco obviously didn't didn't go great for them in the end last year but then one in singapore as well with with signs that's where they got their only victory of 23 so i i think that is i think that I think there are probably certain conditions in which it works very well, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have the best platform, but I I don't think they have a bad one. And and I do wonder if it's, again, I draw another comparison to Mercedes. I do wonder a little bit if they they see enough or they think they see enough from what they're already got to think, actually, it's not worth us following the trend here. We can still do our own thing. And so, and there comes a point where you almost feel like, this, first of all, this is much more fundamental than the Merck side pods, for example, because the, this is something that helps with the car's attachment to the track and how it actually reacts to that. And it impacts all sorts of things from the aerodynamic performance at the rear of the car to what the car's actually doing when you're trying to brake, accelerate, go around corners. The side pod, to all intents and purposes, is glorified bodywork. And Ferrari, yet Ferrari is digging its heels in a bit and saying, we know best. And I just feel... Even if you think it's negligible, it, it, it just concerns me. And and like I've said the, the, for the third time, no one else thinks this is a negligible performance differentiator. In fact, Ed, going back to your Sauber point, James Key considers the pull rod, push rod at the front a coin toss, I think is the phrase that he uses. But he says it's clear cut 
on the rear suspension. Yeah, it doesn't. He says it's not a game changer at the rear, but there is a, a clear and relevant advantage to that. So that's the interesting thing. And obviously, Ferrari can talk about what the compromises are. They can obviously invest effort. They would put into that into doing other things. So yeah, it's an it's an interesting thing for Ferrari. And inevitably, because it's such a visually obvious point of difference, it will become something that people gravitate to when they're looking for reasons for if they're struggling. But then again, if they suddenly have a car that goes really well and starts beating Red Bull, you'd be saying, ah, everybody should have gone to pull Rod at the rear. Going to push Rod was just following the trend. Foolish. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. But overall, yeah, Ben, it was an interesting sort of launch, wasn't it? Because it was quite quite lo-fi, but just an air of very quiet confidence. They seem fairly happy with where they are. I don't think they'll be fooling themselves into thinking they'll be beating Red Bull in the championship, grateful as they would be to be able to do so. So all about just another sensible step in the right direction, all building up to something, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think a dose of humility is what they needed really after the 2023 launch so this is much more sensible a bit more focused on the important things i think it's quite fun that they're an outlier in this one specific regard if everyone was exactly the same i think we'd find that quite dull and i guess it just remains to be seen if ferrari being an outlier means they're only good on some outlier tracks which was kind of the trend last year a bit let's hope that you know because to be fair to them they have done some quite serious work in in terms of working on the gearbox and making all of that bit of the car refined. So, you know, maybe it all joins together into something quite potent and you have a nice kind of offset battle between what they're doing and what everyone else is doing. We'll hear from Gary Anderson in detail on the car in a moment. But first, if you have any questions on any of the car launches we've seen so far or any that are upcoming this week, we'll be doing a special car launches Q&A podcast exclusively for members on Friday. If you'd like to ask a question and indeed listen to that podcast, you'll need to join the Race Members Club. And what better time to do it because we currently have an amazing offer. For a limited period, we're offering a one-month free trial membership, meaning you can enjoy everything the Race Members Club has to offer. That includes exclusive members-only podcasts, early access to Bring Back V10's episodes, a reduced ad environment on the website, exclusive access to the race.com comments section, member discounts, and much more. So you get this before we take any money from you. After your free month, it'll cost just £2.99 a month to remain a member, so that's less than the cost of a cup of coffee. So what are you waiting for? Sign up today and enjoy a free month on us. You can find full details on how to join by clicking the link in the description to this episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Now joining me as always to get into the technical detail of the Ferrari SF24 is former Jordan Jaguar and Stuart Technical Director Gary Anderson. Now Ferrari has talked about how this is a brand new car, a new concept, but as you said in your excellent analysis of the car that's now available on our website, 
there doesn't seem to be any major changes. So how worried are you about Ferrari? Um, yeah, it's difficult to see anything on the car that's really a major step forward, I suppose you might call it. Some of the little bits and pieces, obviously, will be a step forward for Ferrari. But, you know, they need to look at the big picture because nobody else is standing still. It's very difficult overall to see a, a major change in the car that uh, I would say would add enough performance to it for it to be a red bull beater. You know, we've got to, we've got to remember all these teams will be aiming to take a step forward. Um, so just doing enough to sort of catch last year's car might not be enough for them. Um, if you look at the front wing, again, it's the, you know, it's the, the first thing that influences the airflow structure. And what what happens behind that wing, it's, um, it's what the rest of the car has to work with. And, you know, there's no real concept changes there as such. And actually, you know, I look at it, the changes I see is a little bit of a negative. Um, last year, they had the little turning vanes mounting the rear flap, which would give them a little bit more outwash. And they, they've gone this year for some reason. Perhaps the regulations tightened up a little bit. I know there was a little bit of controversy with them last year. People were pointing the finger at them. Um, and, and again, the, the nose is a bit more bulbous, so it's, it's less likely for the airflow to spill off the top surface and go around the sides of the nose, which is what you want. You might try and get the mass flow you can through between the wheel and the chassis to give the, um, the leading edge of the, of the underfloor the, the maximum flow to help it reduce downforce. Um, so, yeah, as I say, nothing jumping out to me that, that says, wow, you know. But, uh, you know, I, I love Ferrari. I think Ferrari are Formula One. I really would love to see them being at the front because it's, it's great to see that happening. But I'm not quite seeing that at the moment. I guess the obvious thing that will stand out to people is you can see they've gone a bit more Red Bull with the side pods, haven't they? The more aggressive yep. undercuts. They've moved the, the lower side impact uh, structure into the floor. So they've done all that kind of normal tidying up for the, the kind of default for these cars, haven't they? Yes, I mean, the, the, you know, all the cars we've seen so far have gone that Red Bull radiator intake um, direction. And I keep saying about the airflow spillage from the radiator blocking up and giving it somewhere to go that's not detrimental to the to the underfloor performance. You know, sometimes you have to get rid of waste air somewhere. Um, and uh, you don't want that to affect the other parts, which could be the downforce, which is along the edge of the, of the, uh, the underfloor and through that undercut. But again, whereas some of the other teams this year have got I've gone to what you might call a more bulbous side pod, um, redirecting the airflow a bit har- a bit harsher out from that undercut. Um, Ferrari have sort of gone a bit more streamlined. Um, so again, uh, you know, I don't like the bulbous bit and trying to make the flow work aggressively because you've got something in the way of it. I do like trying to manage the, the airflow properly and, and doing something with it as far as convincing the airflow to do what you want as opposed to sticking someone in front of it and, and saying, hang on a minute to stop here and turn turn right, please. So, yes, that, that area is all quite neat and tidy. Um, the, the intake, very different from, you know, what we've seen on some of the other cars, Aston Martin, for example, and Red Bull last year. They, you know, I keep saying it's a bit more like a hole in the top surface, as opposed to a forward-facing duct. On the Ferrari, it's still definitely a forward-facing duct. And, you know, it's one of those sort of things they might might need more cooling than the other engine people. Um, the, the cooling package might not be as efficient or whatever. But on the way there, it's, it's all about all those bits and pieces adding up. It's no one, there's no one magic bullet. It's all about everything adding up. 
and although there's there's steps in the right direction, I'm not sure those steps have been taken, as I say, big enough steps. You know, the front suspension, again, is, as they themselves say, more of a carryover from last year, you know, pushrod-operated wishbone package. So there's nothing there that's going to jump out and say, you know, yep, we've got something good here. Yes, they may have more um, anti-dive on the suspension geometry, but it's not much, um, and it's not much different from what they had last year either. It's very interesting because suspension-wise, particularly with the rear suspension, the consensus among teams seems to be that having a pushrod configuration at the rear is better for the aerodynamic opportunity. In fact, Ferrari is now effectively the only one going that way. Haas has as well, but Haas have to take what Ferrari supplies. Pretty much everyone else, well, everyone else apart from that has gone to pushrods, we're assuming. Uh, Williams, well, because they take the uh, uh, the Mercedes gearbox as well. The front suspension, the pull rod versus push rod, is a bit more of a coin toss. It, it's not so significant. But, but is that worrying to you that everybody else seems to think there is a, a small but significant and clear advantage at the rear to going push rod and Ferrari saying, no, this is fine? Well, I think if we look at the cars closely, you know, the the every car in the pit lane is using a fairly bulbous engine cover over the top of the gearbox with the, uh, the cooling moving up upwards. You, you know, you've got a cross-sectional area of the engine and the transmission inside of that bodywork. And to get the car to cool, you've got to have some sort of a, a hole through there, you know, bigger than that cross-section for the bodywork. So instead of having, you know, um, a wider bodywork sides down the sides of the gearbox, whatever, most people are moving that opening to let the hot air out up higher and having two sort of cannons as such, I suppose you might call it. Um, and and when you're doing that, the reason you're doing it is because up there it doesn't matter too much. Um, but down low it does matter. And you want to try and get the diffuser, the Coke bottle area, the gearbox, the bell housing onto the back of the engine, all as neat and tidy and, and narrow as possible. Because the, the overall width of the diffuser is, is, re- regulation, is controlled in regulations, but the, the bit in the middle, the bolt shape in the middle, isn't controlled by the regulations. So the tighter you can make that, the bigger the diffuser will be. Um, but you have to work at it from the inside. So having the pull rod suspension down in there, no matter what magic you've used, and Ferrari, you know, obviously they say they've changed their concept of how they work the suspension inside the gearbox. That, yeah, that's good. Maybe they've got some minuscule thing that's create, generating the rear suspension for them. And, I'm, you know, I'm sure their engineers have come up with some trick but still you know you've got this opening up top where you can actually do something it's the center of the gearbox at the top the top of the bell house is all hidden in there behind you know the engine and the turbo and the plenum and all that sort of stuff so it's it's not as though you're causing a great blockage by putting dampers and torsion springs and rockers and stuff on top of the gearbox yeah the center of gravity is going up a little bit but it's it's still the compromise um, is that you have to give aerodynamics the, the leading hand. You know, it's it's going to be the important thing whenever it comes to the outnight performance of the car. So by not by not going the, 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 the right route could end up sort of stalling your development program through the season. And as I say, I'm not critical of, of Ferrari by any means. I'm sure they've, they've made a better car than they had last year, but I just don't see that, that step that's going to take them up there and, and if Red Bull make a little bit of a step to catch Red Bull and, and be competitive um, consistently. It's worth briefly mentioning another detail that people will see at the rear of the halo mounting. There's a kind of just beyond vertical um, piece of bodywork 
coming from the halo fairing down to the sort of shoulder just behind the uh, the drivers uh, obviously only a small detail really even though it's quite visibly obvious what's that all about well if you if you look at the front of that area there's the the section of the headrest um and then there's also the chassis that has to support the headrest and if you add that all up together you've got quite a a sort of bluff frontal area uh, on it and basically that flow has to go somewhere i mean it, some of it will will generate turbulence for the driver's head going inboard you know there's, there's fillet rods and all that on all those corners and it's blend it in as best you can but the way the headrest is and the position of the headrest you have to have a certain thickness um so everybody has to have it so it's, it's, a, it's a bluff sort of area now ferrari um in the past, well, last year as well, they, they ran a sort of duct there, an exit duct from somewhere. I'm not quite sure where the exit duct gets fed from, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was just a small um, cooling duct because the cooling the cooling ducts are limited in these cars. That's why we see so many louvers on the engine covers. You can't just have a big hole anymore uh, like we used to have in years gone by. So there's a, a, there's a width inboard there on the sides of the chassis where you can have louvers or holes to cool stuff. And Ferrari have used that for uh, a hole. Now, whether it's just a duct or whether there's something in that duct between the inlet and the exit that's being cooled on the way, some people have said it's, you know, it's a magic S duct, which we used to see in the noses, which um, the S duct really worked from connecting up the bottom of the nose to the top of the nose, pulling more airflow through underneath the front of the car. Um, and, you know, that's still quite important, but, you know, it's been done away with now. You can't do it. But if you can generate one some other way uh, within the regulations, then fine. Um, and Ferrari have had that a couple of years. Now they've they've got a, a sort of vertical, um, I don't know what you like to call it, boomerang shape, um, fin on the outside of it. And I think that, again, is to tidy up the flow, that bluff flow off the headrest area to try to make, make it, um, you know, manage that flow better so that the duct works more efficiently it's all part of the same package all these little bits and pieces appear but you know there is there is none of them being the magic bullet they're all you know they're all small steps and you know obviously if you have enough of them in the right direction then it can take you forward but they're all small steps um they all cost time in the wind tunnel they all cost um money to manufacture and they all add weight so you've got to be careful that you're actually getting someone from these things at the end of the day um but um yeah it's you know i think it's a neat tidy car i, I quite like the car but i just to say i'm just not seeing this step would be wow i like that you know it's really really that's really important and just to finish off, let's try and give Ferrari fans some encouragement because, as you say, if you aggregate enough marginal gains and you get everything working well together, if they can eliminate some of that rear instability that they had, really build on the little bit of progress they made at the back end of last year, that could all coalesce into something that can do something about Red Bull, particularly if they can maintain the single lap pace while getting the race pace, which is something that they've really aimed to do. So... If they've just done all this, no magic bullets, but just got everything right, got those compromises correct, and everything's just working as it should in terms of those subtle details, could that be enough to do something about Red Bull, do you think? Yes, I think it can. Um, you know, it's all about adding up all the pieces, and, and there's a lot on the Ferrari that are neat, tidy, you know, good pieces, genuinely good pieces. I'm just saying I don't see this sort of stamp that says, wow, we've really got a handle on it here. Um, the, you know, the thing they needed to do last year, we know that they were, the car was quick in one lap. Charles Leclerc is one of those very quick drivers over one lap. But in the race, the, 
you know, that it, it couldn't really hang on and it didn't really have a straight line speed with the DRS uh, to to be able to overtake. You know, you've got two situations in Formula One. You've either got to be able to be in pole position and disappear into the distance, or you've got to have a car that's got good good efficiency, straight line speed, and looks after the tyres well so that you can pass other cars. Um, now, you know, I think, you know, last year I kept saying about the, the triple DRS effect of the of the beam wing and the diffuser and the top wing working together. Ferrari have obviously they've gone to that now. I think they played a bit with it last year, but they never really got on top of it as well as they should have done. But, you know, the, you can see them now that looking at the rear of the car, you know, they've got this a very aggressive um, beam wing element that helps work the diffuser. And then they've got a, a sort of turning vein they use well, using the other part of the beam wing. You're allowed... You have to have one beam wing, at least, a one beam wing element, and the, yeah, a maximum of two beam wing elements, and there's a box that you can put them in. And how you configure that's up to you. Um, Red Bull were the first team to show that you could use this, and it would actually be very beneficial as far as straight line speed was concerned when the DRS was open. So if you got behind somebody, you could overtake them. It also means in qualifying, you've got that extra straight line speed um, during qualifying. But it, also, it does mean that if you get out the front, you know, you've got the downforce to, to disappear into the distance. So you need to have that compromise. And the thing I say, Ferrari have joined that club as far as that's concerned. So I see what I've seen, what I'm seeing at the moment, I think might just be a better race car for them. Um, I don't see the negatives in qualifying, um, but I don't really see that many, you know, as I say, overall positives. But re- relatively, I think the, the race pace should be more, more in line with the qualifying pace. And that will be a bit more of a headache for Red Bull. So gentle approval, but nothing to get too excited about. As always, thanks very much, Gary. And we'll hear from you tomorrow about McLaren and Mercedes. We'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Scott, for the first time, Fred Vasseur and the Ferrari drivers had to face the media properly since Lewis Hamilton's move to Ferrari in 2025 was announced. What were your major takeaways about what they said on this topic? 
Uh, unsurprisingly, they didn't want to say a lot. Um, <laughs> I think if if they'd let it, the th- I, I get the logic. I, I I do understand to a point because there would have been a fear that it would become just uh, a Hamilton question free for all, and it would have just been all focused on 2025. And with Carlos Sainz sat there at some point, it would have been unfair and awkward. All the launch stuff, he's in all of the material. They're preaching focus on 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 2024, and it would have just been, in their view. Uh, a bit inappropriate at times uh, and a bit of a distraction to to focus on something that's happening in 12 months time when they've got a job to do this year and they've got another driver as an as the incumbent of, of, of that seat so I, I i i totally get that i feel that personally the best way of doing it actually a good example of this was um remember when red bull got done for breaking the budget cap and that was announced and officially over the mexico weekend in 22 um, they put up a, a press conference for Christian Horner at just an, an undetermined length. It was basically just run until you're tired out. And I think that press conference went on for about 40 minutes. We got to the end and everyone, everyone, it was just out of questions. There, there was nothing more you could ask him. And so he didn't really get asked about it the rest of the weekend. There wasn't, and, and there wasn't anything else to say. And that was actually quite a good strategy. And I feel like for in a way, Ferrari would have been better served at some point in the last week or two doing a specific thing on this and just getting it out of the way because then the elephant's not in the room. It's it's been dealt with already. It's just not it's not something to worry about. And instead they tried to do it where they were like, okay, well, we don't want to talk about this. Please focus on the 24 car. Uh, okay, you can ask like one or two questions. Then it got to Fred and it was like, oh, Fred will say something about it at the start, but then he won't take any more questions. And it's just a little bit like it's a it's a different example of F1 being secretive or paranoid and doesn't really know why. And then it just creates more of an issue in its own right. So I don't think it needed to be handled in this way. And what they did say was basically nothing anyway. So <laughs> they could have just batted this away with a, an open press conference at some point in the past where 10, 20 minute free for all, fill your boots and then we move on. Well, as uh, as Ferrari said to me on the day that the Lewis Hamilton news broke but hadn't broken yet, we don't comment on speculations, and I think that just kind of emphasises Ferrari's strategy. Sometimes it's a bit they don't like, comment on the real thing either. Apparently, no, exactly. They 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 always seem to be a bit, uh, just a bit wary and needlessly wary. And I completely agree with you, Scott. I was going to say the same thing. They should have held some kind of proper press conference just to get it out of the way, and not just kind of relied on a a brief PR statement when the Lewis news came out, just saying, yeah, okay, that, we've, you can't drop a bombshell. We've addressed this. We've addressed yes, exactly. this. What do you mean? We've um, addressed Richard this. Yeah. <laughs> with, 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 with nothing but facts or whatever they said in the in 2019 when the drivers drove each other, into each other in Singapore, or was it earlier than that, 2017? 17. 17. They, they can't drop a bombshell like that, Lewis Hamilton to Ferrari on, the, on F1 and the driver market, and then just go, that's it. No, we're not talking about it anymore until we've got a season ahead of us and we need to full focus on that. It's just not going to wash. The funny thing was, Fred Vasseur said, oh, we, we wanted to announce it before the season to get it out of the way. But they did that and then didn't do what you said and have a think that they should have done something with Vasseur. Just let him sit there, answer everyone's questions. And these things sort of burn themselves out, if you see what I mean. All it means is these questions yeah. will go on in Bahrain and testing. Now, personally, I wouldn't want it to overtake the launch completely. And that's why I'd quite like them to have done it separately. But I'm interested in the questions about the car, the development, that kind of thing. So it's not that we're obsessed purely with that story but it is a big story and it's difficult for them I know that but it just ended up being a little bit of a of a halfway house because it's such a significant deal what I find quite funny is that Ferrari was so 
determined to try to control this when they could have handled it a bit better. And they, they did it because they were worried about runaway questions derailing the focus of the launch event um, and kind of mishandled it that way. But 24 hours prior, or just a little over 24 hours prior, uh, Aston Martin launched their car. And in some calls that we were in with drivers and team people in anticipation of that launch, that we had some time with Fernando Alonso, whose media call about his team's launch was derailed by people asking him increasingly less relevant questions about Lewis Hamilton and Ferrari to the point where Alonso got fed up and just said, I don't care about Lewis Hamilton or what he's doing. <laughs> it's all words, words, to, words to that effect. And it was, I, it was funny. I was just thinking of it when the Ferrari thing was happening today. And I was just thinking, oh, I, in hindsight, in, and they couldn't have foreseen this, so I'm not, I'm not blaming them. But in the, it's ironic that it was another team that could have probably have merited stepping in and saying, can we have no questions about Lewis Hamilton to Ferrari, please? It's nothing to do with us. You're derailing our launch. <laughs> but it's funny because we talked about this on the podcast yesterday. Mark Hughes went through it at length. But Alonso did want to throw out a few things about his future there and the implications of the, the Hamilton thing. But he answered some questions. And then, as you say, he then did one where he gave a very short answer. And it's like, right, I've said everything that there is to be said. And there isn't really much more you can do after that. So I quite like that approach. Now, to be fair to Ferrari, it's not like they were being massively belligerent about this. They said, limit the questions. And even when a few people threw in questions after they've been asked not to, they were all right with it. They didn't clamp down. So it wasn't massively oppressive or anything, but uh, it was just it was just a little bit strange across the, across the board. And maybe there was a better way to handle it. But again, it all points to the fact that we got the impression Ferrari didn't really plan to announce it with the timing that they intended originally. Otherwise, they might have been able to do it slightly uh, slightly differently. So there's going to be lots of questions about that uh, in Bahrain. But yeah, it, it just created a little amusing subplot in this launch. Well, I think the normal anticipated F1 strategy for something like this is to basically keep it a secret as long as you possibly can. And then it kind of leaks out gradually. And then eventually, some point during the year, you have to announce it and then address it. Presumably, Ferrari wanted, and it clearly leaked from the Italian side in some way, shape, or form. The reason that is is because Mercedes didn't really seem to know until pretty late on. So, no. not even necessarily. I mean, I don't really know what other Italian side there could be, but it's not specifically Ferrari leaking like a sieve or whatever. But it's isn't it <laughs> from that? It's it's clearly come from that that area, that side of the deal, anyway. Because I doubt if Hamilton leaked it himself. Because what do you think of this? Okay, so eventually, you know, you have to go with the the tide and just get it out there and address it. And I think that's sensible. But now effectively you have this kind of holding patent season where the whole narrative of Ferrari is, well, okay, they're just kind of waiting for 2025 when Lewis joins and joins Leclerc in this kind of super team. So is that a good thing to just have out in the open and you can get on with it? Or actually does it just distract everyone for the whole season until Lewis arrives? I think it'd be all right. It was all right with Renault when Alonso was leaving for McLaren I think it, it just becomes a fact of life not long after doesn't it well ultimately if, if he's going and whether or not it's done pre-season or during the season like at some point during the year it becomes a distraction because at some point during the year those negotiations will happen and if it's not confirmed and it's not announced then you have a, a, an equally potentially destructive destructive situation whereby drivers that are within your team don't know their future and there's speculation about what you're going to do like every scenario has ways in which you can paint it as oh this would be destabilizing this would be this or that i i quite like the approach of and I, this is where i had 
why I had a, some sympathy with, I understand where the logic for Ferrari is coming from, is that I, I agree with the, get it out there, don't let it distract, we've got a job to do, we've got to focus. Because if they do everything that they think that they've done and they've set out to do for this year, they could could be winning races this year and in the absolute best case scenario, could be fighting for a world championship or two. That's what they have to be focused on. And now, and and by by getting the news out there yes it's a, it's it's not it's more than an open secret now it's it's publicly confirmed but you can just you can deal with all of the stuff around that you can make sure that signs feels as loved as you can feel when you're the one heading for the exit door at the end of the year um you can make sure that you pick your moments to talk about certain things certain projects you you can you can be on top of narratives like oh, when will you be able to work with Lewis? Or when will you stop Carlos being able to drive the 25 car in the sim? Will he ever drive the 25 car? That kind of stuff. You can con- you can control that all a lot more easily. I just think, so So the logic behind it, where they're coming from, I, I agree with. Get it out there. Don't let it be a distraction. That's fine. But to not let it be a distraction, you also need to confront it early. And that's kind of what they haven't done. They've tried to have this it, the, the, in this really roundabout way tried to like have their cake and eat it in that well we don't want it to be a distraction but our way of not letting it be a distraction is no one's ever allowed to talk about this which is just <laughs> it's just silly and it's unrealistic i've got to hand it to Vasseur though ed i think at the christmas do that you went to he was indicating they would have the driver situation sorted before the launch or certainly before Bahrain and he definitely hit that target so that's he's a man of his word (laughs) exactly yeah he was just talking about something slightly different to what the rest of the world thought but I do think I think it's worth noting that the whole thing about distraction I think it, it can be slightly overstated actually because generally speaking teams and drivers are pretty professional it's in the interest of the drivers to perform at their best it's in the interest of the teams to perform at their best the only thing where I think things really go wrong is if things get massively fractured there's proper fallings out over it or if a team's struggling a driver might check out a little bit as the season winds down we have seen that in the past but I I don't think it's uh I think people have this almost sort of soap opera-ish view of it, like everyone at Mercedes is going to be, oh, Hamilton's off to Ferrari, or science is going to be surly or whatever. But I don't think that's not how these people work. They're all really competitive professional people. And unless there's some monstrous explosion about it, I don't think it's going to be a problem. And that's going to continue to be a talking point, of course, over the year. But really, it's how well Ferrari will do that's the big question mark. And yeah. A solid step forward. Will it be enough? We shall find out in the coming season. So thanks very much to Ben and Scott. Head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there, including Gary Anderson's in-depth analysis of the car. Check out our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, the Race F1 Tech Show, our MotoGP, IndyCar and Formula E podcasts. And also check out our YouTube channel. A great video there on the Ferrari voiced by Scott. Well, we've got a big day coming up tomorrow with the new Mercedes and McLaren revealed, so stay with us for everything you need to know about F1 launch season. The Athletic.